This is New Life Christian Fellowship's weekly message podcast. You can find us online at newlifepetaluma.org. And now, this week's message. Good morning, everybody. Man, it's good to spend some time with you today. If we haven't met yet, my name is Kevin, and I'm one of the pastors here on staff, and it is my privilege to uh, share some more time as we dream and vision about who we are and who we're becoming as we head into our 20th year as a church. And so today's going to be very, very exciting. Uh, if you're brand new with us, I want to share with you something that I invite all of us to do each week, because one of the things that I really believe is that whether it's your first time here or you've been coming since 1998 when we first launched this community, that we all start from the same place. There is no us and them. There is no in and out. There is us on a journey together. And so to get us on the same page, I always invite us to grab our programs and to grab two things. The first is this Start Here card, which is your all-access pass to our team. So we can pray for you, so we can partner with you, so we can answer any questions that you have. This is our way to be a resource to you as our pastoral team longs deeply to serve you. So go ahead and get that filled out. We'll be using that a little bit later. You're also going to want to grab our teaching notes because they will tell you where we're going, some of the things we're looking at. They'll have some of the Bible verses that we're uh, looking at today there as well. So go ahead and grab that. And I want to share with you another one of my core convictions as a church leader. And I think that you hold this as well. I have this deep conviction that New Life is not the only church, that we're not even the best church, that we are a church. And when God moves in our church, it's something to celebrate. And I believe that when God moves in other churches, it's also something to celebrate. One of the things that you're going to see is that we hold, we hold church loosely and we hold people loosely. And we say, when God is moving in different places, that is worth celebrating. I believe that to my core. And then sometimes that conviction gets challenged. It gets challenged when someone who I love deeply senses God calling them somewhere else and leaving our community. And I'm going to share one of those moments with us now as a church community. Uh, Our student pastor, Jake, who I love deeply, has been sensing for about a year that God is calling him to a new ministry. And just uh, a few weeks ago, he took a job with a church in Seattle, close to his family where he and Kaylee grew up and where they live, only about, I think, five blocks from the home he grew up in. And he sensed a call there. He was offered a position and he accepted it. And so Jake's going to be transitioning off of our staff team onto another staff team. And it's a good thing. It's a good fit. It's a great church. It's a win in the big picture of the church. And at the same time, I have cried multiple times losing a friend. You know, it just feels like someone who I've shared life with, who we've shared life with, who has had such a deep investment in our community, for them to leave brings sadness. And I didn't know whether or not to share this in the beginning of our time together or at the end of our time together, but I thought, I want you to know what's happening. Our students know and our families know we've been sharing this with them uh, towards the end of this past week, and I wanted to share this with our larger church. So on October the 8th, Jake is going to have his last Sunday here with us, and we're going to have a big celebration with students and families, and it's it's going to be great. And between now and then, I would invite you to talk to Jake, to thank him, to hug him, to to tell him how much he has meant to you and to this community. Uh, and I'd like to, to pray for him now. He'll be in the lobby. You can find him after service. But I'd love to pray for him right now, if you would join me in that. Lord, thank you so much that we don't have to shoulder the responsibility of being the only church in the world, but that you have actually created new life to be one community among many hundreds of thousands of communities around this world of women and men who are loving you and loving other people and serving and transforming communities. And thank you, Jesus, for Jake and Kaylee, for their friendship 
and their partnership over these last years, for the influence that they have had on so many of us. Thank you, Jesus, that you designed relationships so that we have influenced them in very key ways. Thank you, God, that even as I asked our church last week to commit to committing, to commit to saying yes to whatever you have for us. Thank you that Jake and Kaylee take that challenge, that they commit to committing, and they sensed that it was time, God, that you were calling them to a new area of ministry, and they've said yes, as scary as that is and as sad as they are to leave this community. So would you be with them? Would you guide us? And Lord, would you bring us the right leadership for our students and families in this next season? I pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Well, transitionally speaking, which is what you say when you have no transition. Um, Transitionally speaking, um, we are at a unique time in human history. And we live in a unique place in human history. I love our community. I love Sonoma County. There's literally nowhere I would rather be than right here with you. And in this time in the world and in this place in the world, did you know that 97% of our community, women and men and children, your neighbors and coworkers, your kids, friends, the people you do sports with and share life with, the people who come into your places of work, 97% of our community does not have an active relationship with Jesus, does not know Jesus and his love and his transforming power in their lives. And that's, that's, that's huge. That's people that we love, that we want to serve, that we want to care for. We live in a unique place. My wife uh, works for a missions organization. She was just at this missions conference with speakers from all over the world, and we were talking about what speakers in, are saying in Africa, what the church is doing in Africa, what the church is doing in Central America, coming together. And she and I had this realization, did you know that there are less Christians, Jesus followers, percentage-wise here in Sonoma County than there are in almost any other place in the world. And that God is inviting us as a church community to love and serve and care for and reach Sonoma County. But in order for us to do that, we're going to have to make big, bold steps as a church because we live in a unique time. And it's calling from God a unique thing in us. And here's what I've been saying for the last few weeks as we've been in this Engage initiative, that we have a giant opportunity to help people experience the life-changing love of Jesus in a way that has not happened in Sonoma County in a generation. We have a giant opportunity to make our next 20 years our best 20 years. We're going to unleash compassion like maybe never before in a church in our community. We're going to meet real needs through strategic partnerships like Redwood Gospel Mission, and we're meeting with other community organizations that are helping meet real needs. And we're, I'm going to a breakfast in the next month just to hear about another organization that's helping care for women who are coming out of abusive relationships and trauma. We're just looking, God, what would it mean to partner strategically with great organizations who are meeting real needs? We're going to equip people in this next 20 years with life-changing skills marriage skills and parenting skills, finance skills. We're going to help with addiction recovery, helping people break free from hurts and habits and hangups that hold us and trap us. We're going to bring uh, pockets of healing in areas of global crises of our day, things like human trafficking, 
things like holistic church planting that's not focused solely on a soul of an individual, but is focused on the whole person. We're going to do things like building wells and uh, working with orphanages and schools. Right now, our partnership in India with our churches that we're planning are bringing in medical experts to do medical care for people in tiny little communities all over southern India. This next 20 years is going to be marked by us impacting our community like maybe never before, but it's going to take all of us engaging with God in three key areas and taking major steps forward. Because I'm telling you, friends, I can't do it. And you can't do it, and you can't do it, and you can't do it. But together with God, we can do something great. And so last week, I laid out a vision for us to engage with God in three key areas. The first is to pray each day. I asked us to set our alarms for 112. How many of you set your alarm for 112 last week? I'm not going to ask you how many of you turned it off on Wednesday because it was so annoying (laughs) to be in a meeting and have your alarm go off. But I asked us, if you did, turn it back on. I asked us to set our alarms for 112, to pray for the 112,000 people in our immediate reach community. That's, that's Petaluma, Katati, Pengrove, and Roner Park. And I love Santa Rosa, and I want to reach into Santa Rosa. I love Novato and Sonoma. But really, when we think about our strategic reach community, it's these kind of four communities right here. And I love you if you're outside of that. Let's continue to branch out. But I said, let's pray because of that 112,000 people, 908,640 people do not know Jesus. So let's pray for our neighbors, for our coworkers. Let's pray for our city officials. Let's pray for our global partners every day at 112. And if you did not get your wristband last week, grab it out in the lobby or grab it in the back. It says engage 112 just to remind us. Let's pray each day at 112. I called this last week to know your go to find your unique place of service influence because each of us has one. And it might be in the church and it might be in the city. It might be on your kid's sports team at your kid's school. It could be in key areas of influence in the chamber of commerce. It could be, it could be all over. But in this next two years, I'm calling all of us to find our unique place of service influence, to know our go so that we actually get into the community serving and loving. And it could be in the church. It could be that what God is calling you to do is to serve in this church because we have people walking through these doors every week for the first time who need to be served and loved. And then thirdly, I called us, I said, we need to live your give. Give generously so that we can pay down our mortgage and free up direct ministry dollars. Because listen, this next two years, is going to mean saying no to something good so you can say yes to something great, which is God's work in this community. We're talking about primarily having 100% engagement in this initiative, that each of us would engage with God. That is my primary goal for us. If as your pastor and as your friend, I can get every single one of us to engage with God, that's a win. Our secondary goal is to free up at least $3.2 million over the next 20 years in direct ministry money to do the things that I laid out for us last week by eliminating $2 million of overhead in the next two years. Listen, it could be substantially more, but we know that it would at least be that. And I wonder, do you remember the first thing you thought the moment you wake, woke up on February the 17th, 2015. Think back. What was the first thing you thought the morning you woke up? 
on February the 15th, 2017, 2015. Do you not remember? I remember exactly what I thought. The moment I woke up on February the 17th, 2015. And here's why. Because on February the 16th, 2015, I became your lead pastor. Cue applause. Thank you. That is really heartwarming. Thank you. As I stand up here and proclaim a bold vision, just to have that, that groundswell of support is so kind. I was 32 years old, and it was a beautiful day. Thank you, Celeste. And we had a big party, and we played, we played a U2 song to start up, and you all wore cardigans. You were, it was the best-looking church we'd ever had, because I was in a cardigan phase at that time. And February 17th, I woke up, and I rolled over to Maria, who's my wife. In case I don't want any confusion there, Maria is my wife. I rolled over to Maria, and I said, Oh my gosh, do you realize two things? First, I'm the lead pastor of a church, and I'm 32. What were we thinking? This is terrifying, which I think is exactly where God wants us, is in a place of a little holy fear. And the second thing that I said to her, and I remember it clear as day, I said to her, do you realize that I just inherited a four and a half million dollar debt? And I don't do debt. Listen, I don't do car debt. I don't do credit card debt. I don't do school debt. I don't do debt. And you're thinking, four and a half million dollars, that's a huge debt. Well, it was, and those of you who are extra spiritual would say, this is not your debt. This is God's work. Yeah, okay. But my name's on, right? They're coming after me. You're not going to jail if we don't pay. Now, even when I say four and a half million dollars, some of us think, what on earth? Four and a half million dollars for a property? Let me put it in context. The median house price in Petaluma is $661,000. Multiply that by eight, eight families, eight houses, and you have over four and a half million dollars in home debt. We serve each week roughly 350 households, not eight, 350. And to do that here takes risk and it takes resource. To purchase a property that serves us, serves our community, serves our families so deeply, takes honestly four and a half million for 350 families is not out of control. That's eight of our houses. Eight. But I still don't do debt. Why? Because I know what you know. Debt limits our ability to live the life we want. It does in your business. If you're a business owner, debt limits your ability to live the life that you want. It does in your family. Debt limits your ability to live the kind of life your family wants, a life of generosity and engagement with our community. And it does as a church. Debt limits our ability to live the life that we know we want. So for three years, I just prayed and thought, God, what is our next step? To be the kind of people that you've called us to be. Hold that in your minds for a minute. Because I want to jump back into the story 
of the boy who would become king. And we're going to circle back around to that question in just a few minutes. We've been looking at the life of this guy named David. He's a teenager at this point. When we first met him, he was a tween. He was like 10 to 12. Now he's like 15. And we meet David when he comes into a situation where he has to battle a giant. And we have a couple key characters that we want to know about in this story. We have Saul, who's the current king. He's the reigning ruler of the nation of Israel. We've got Samuel, who was a priest. Samuel was the guy who anointed Saul and then later anointed David, which simply means blessed him to become the king. We've got Saul, the current king. We've got Samuel, who's this priest who hears from God what God wants and says, initially, Saul's the king and then moves over because Saul did some things that were not in line with David and or with God, and then David became the king. And then we've got David, who would one day become king. He's been anointed, but he's in a lame duck period. He's not yet king. He's won the position, but he's not there. But his lame duck period lasts 15 years. So Saul is king. David's not yet king. And we talked a few weeks ago about a defining moment in his life when he came up against this giant named Goliath. And I'm going to quickly read through the story. If you've missed the last two weeks of this series, please hop onto the app. You can watch it right there, or you can listen to it right there on our app. And there's information in the app in your programs. But let's pick up the story in 1 Samuel 17, verse 1. We'll read through it fairly quickly just to get our minds back to where we are. There are the Philistines, They are the enemies of the Israelites. We see in the Old Testament, they fight and fight and fight. We go through these cycles of fighting with the Philistines. And they've gathered forces for war. They've assembled in Judah. And they pitched their tents in that place that we talked about a few weeks ago. Verse 2 says, Saul, who's the current reigning king of the Israelites, Saul and the Israelites assembled, and they camped in the valley of Allah. And they drew up a battle line to meet the Philistines. Now picture this in your head. The Philistines occupied one hill. The Israelites occupied another hill. In the middle, there's a valley, and they're just staring at each other, taunting each other. Go ahead, look at each other and taunt each other on the outsides. Go ahead. You versus you, you're just the valley, sorry. And they're shouting at each other. And a champion named Goliath, who was from Gath, came out from the Philistine camp, and he stood up, and he called across to the Israelites. He was huge. We're told he's six cubits high, which is roughly nine feet high. And then it goes on to talk about the fact that he is a mighty warrior. It tells his warrior's clothing and how big he is. We're going to skip down to verse eight. Goliath stood and shouted at the ranks of Israel, why do you come and line up for battle? Am I not a Philistine? Are you not the servants of Saul? Choose a man and have him come down to me. If he's able to fight and kill me, we will become your subjects. But if I overcome him and kill him, you will become our subjects and serve us. And then the Philistines said, This day I defy the armies of Israel. Give me a man and let us fight each other. And on hearing the Philistines' words, Saul and his entire army were terrified. And they ran and hid. And we're told that for 40 days, Goliath comes out and gives that same taunt. And for 40 days, Saul, the king, and his army run and hide. And this this practice that they're doing, and I talked about this a few weeks ago, was really strategic. Because whoever won the battle, the losers would become their slaves. They would take them captive and they would become slaves for them. The problem is, if the Philistines came out and they killed all the Israelites, they had no slaves to take with them. So what they would do is, the Philistines would bring a giant out, a warrior out. 
And they would call for the Israelites to bring their giant out, their warrior out, and they'd fight one-on-one, mano-a-mano, cage match to the death. And whoever won would take the entire army or take the entire army as servants and slaves. And so Goliath calls out for the biggest, strongest Israelite warrior there is. And here's the thing. We actually know who the biggest, strongest Israelite warrior was. And every Israelite knew who the biggest, strongest warrior was. The question we're asking today is, whose giant is it anyway? Whose battle was it to fight? We actually get a hint. You have to go back to 1 Samuel chapter 9, back about eight chapters, and you find out who the Israelite warrior king really is. It says this in 1 Samuel 9 verse 2, Kish had a son named Saul. This is the Saul who is currently king. He was as handsome a young man as you could find anywhere. And he was, and I want you to notice this, he was a head taller than everyone else. What are they trying to say? He was about a foot taller than anyone else. You would look out in the crowd, you'd see everyone, and then you'd see Saul standing above them. If you skip down to verse 15 in that same chapter, it says this. Now, the day before Saul came, the Lord revealed to Samuel, about this time tomorrow, I'm going to send you a man from the land of Benjamin. Anoint him. Remember, that means bless him. Anoint him ruler over my people Israel. He will, this is the promise, he will deliver them from the hand of the Philistines. I've looked at my people and I've heard their cry. Whose job was it to deliver Israel from the hand of the Philistines? Saul's. Who's the giant warrior of Israel? Okay, you and I know it. I can guarantee the army knew it. And actually, David knew it. And it would have been easy for David to say, it's not my giant. It's just not mine. That's Saul's giant to fight. I'm a kid. Saul's a man. He's head and shoulders above me. I'm a shepherd, David could have said. Saul's a warrior. He's been called by God to be a warrior king. I've been called by God to be a shepherd. And it would have been a very different story if David would have said, not my giant. It would have been different for him. It would have been different for Saul. It would have been different for the entire nation. And it would have been different for the history of the world because this is David's defining moment. Because later, David, from his ancestry, would come Jesus. This is his defining moment that God designed to bless the entire world. Luckily, David didn't look out and say, that's someone else's giant to fight. Luckily, David looked out, and this is what he said in 1 Samuel chapter 17, verse 32. David went to Saul. He said, don't lose heart on account of this Philistine. I will fight him. Saul said, you can't fight him. Now, Saul wasn't willing to fight him. But Saul said, you can't go out against him and fight him. You're only a young man. He's been a warrior from his youth. 
But David said to Saul, your servant has been keeping his father's sheep. And when a lion or a bear came to attack the sheep, that's what they did. They went, ah, like that. Terrifying, I know. When a lion or bear came and carried off a sheep from the flock, David said, I went after them and I struck them and I rescued the sheep from its mouth. And when it turned on me, you know what I did? I seized it by the hair and I struck it and I killed it. Are you kidding me? That's insane. I love it. Verse 36. Your servant has killed both the lion and the bear. This uncircumcised Philistine will be like one of them because he's defied the armies of the living God. The Lord who rescued me. So the Lord who has worked in my life, the Lord who rescued me from the hand of the, uh, for the paw of the bear and the paw of the lion will rescue me from the hand of this Philistine. And Saul said to David, good luck. (laughs) May the Lord be with you. Which is what we say when we want no part of what is happening in someone's life. May the Lord be with you. Friends, this battle would be the launching point that would lead to the fulfillment of David's destiny. Would it have been easier and safer for him to say, not my giant? Absolutely. Would it have caused him less internal tension, less questions, less wrestling with God, less struggling to say, not my giant? You bet your life it would. But David would have missed out on a life-changing opportunity to encounter God. And for the past three years, I have been captivated as your lead pastor by the beauty and the joy and the love and the creativity of this community. I've been captivated by you guys. And I have become more and more overwhelmed with the sense that God might just use us to be a church that changes the spiritual climate of Sonoma County, that moves us from 3% of people engaging with God to 4% of people engaging with God, to 5%. What, What if in two years we could say, oh my goodness, because of new life and our strategic partnerships and reach, 5% 5% of our communities, or 4% of our communities engaging with God. That'd be 1,220 people a week engaging with God in some capacity through our church. Think about that. Think about the compassion that we can unleash in our world in thoughtful, strategic ways. Listen, God has given us a beautiful facility to use as a center for our community. We didn't create just a a church to use on Sundays. We created a community center for use throughout the world. And this facility in Sonoma County has come at a high cost. I get it. It costs about eight households worth of mortgage. I get it. And as I've prayed, as I've thought about it, I thought, is this a good investment? And I can tell you it is. Here's the thing. When we decided, when our leadership team prayed about being the first church in 75 years to actually purchase a space where we could do ministry and reach our community, I was sitting right where you are. I was not on staff. I was sitting and praying and listening. In fact, we'd always sit in the third row right about there and engaging with God and praying for our leadership. And they made a good choice. And it was a risky choice. And I'm so glad they did. Honestly, the proof is in the pudding. Thousands of people 
in the last nine years have met Jesus through this church. We've served hundreds of people who are homeless in our community. We've served hundreds of people through schools. We've served thousands of people through various rentals and partnerships. We have built houses in Mexico, orphanages in India, churches throughout India. We're talking about schools now that we want to build because we created the space here and got a vision for not just us, but outside of us. It was a good choice. I remember when I married Maria, we celebrated 11 years yesterday. Thank you for not making me cue you to clap. I appreciate that. But I remember getting married and I was fortunate. The family I came from helped pay for college and and I got out of, I got into marriage debt-free. She had school loans and things like that. So she came into marriage with debt. You know what I didn't say to her? I didn't say, hey, it's not my debt. You better figure it out, lady. No. Getting married, becoming a family says that we're going to walk together on this journey. And it took us about three years and then we became debt-free. And it was a beautiful thing. We paid off our last payment. No more car payments, no more school payments. It's been a beautiful thing. And I want to talk about that principle here. We are a family. And it might seem easier to sit on the sidelines and say, this generosity thing, freeing up $3.2 million over the next 20 years by, by paying off $2 million of mortgage now, of overhead now, to go into direct ministry money moving forward. It'd be easy to sit on the sidelines and say, you know what, this is not my giant to face. It's just not. You might be saying, I'm brand new. It's not my giant. You might be saying, I've been here since the beginning. I've invested generously in past initiatives. It's not my giant. I've done, I've fought my giant. You might be sitting here saying, listen, I don't have any spare money to give. You might be saying, I'm just a, you can fill in the blank. I'm just a teenager. I'm just a recent graduate. I'm just in my first job. I'm just retired on a fixed income. I'm just a new family. There are plenty of reasons to sit back and say this is someone else's giant. But guys, this is our journey to take. It's not someone else's. And what God's going to do in us as we engage with him and say, this is my giant, I'm going to be part of the solution that frees up the resources to reach our community. It's going to be a beautiful thing. As we do it, you will engage with God. For some of us, for the first time ever, what's this look like? I I put this in your notes. It's our engaging with God chart that we've been chewing on since we did the Contrarian's Guide study. Last week in life groups, I asked this question. It was question three for your life group. You might not have gotten to it. If you didn't get to it last week, I'm asking you to start with it this week. The question was this. What do you think God says about generosity? Because this is not about the church. This is not about me. This is not about, have I convinced you with a compelling vision? The question is, what does God say about generosity? And as you ask that question, I want us to go through this process. Remember, this process was God gives his thoughts. God will tell us, and I've given your life group leaders an outline. Here's what God says about generosity. Here's a snapshot. God gives us his thoughts. We deal with our emotions. Sometimes it's anger. I don't like that. I don't want that. We move to questions. God, why do you say that? We get into our life group and we open up the Bible and we say, God, show me why. We start having conversations and then we start start testing and trying. This is what I want for us. This is the journey I want for each of us. What does God say about generosity? Not what does Kevin say? 
Not, is this vision worth investing in? What does God say about God honoring generosity? If your life group did not get to that question last week, it's the first question this week. I really want you talking about it. And then we move to this next thing. Why don't you go ahead and pull up this chart? You got this last week. If you did not receive this Engage booklet, pick one up on your way out. And there's a chart here that talks about next steps. And I'm asking every one of us in the next month to find where we are on this ladder. I've never given to the church. I give consistently. I give 10%. That's called a tie. That's the first 10%. And in your, what does God say about generosity? I laid that out in your life groups. I give 10%. I give beyond the tithe. I'm asking each of us to identify where are we on this chart? And then ask God this question, where do you want me to go? And allow God to answer that for you. Maybe it's giving for the first time. Maybe it's giving intentionally. I'm going to consistently give a percentage back to God through the local church. Maybe it's taking that jump to move to a tithe. Maybe it's going above and beyond the tithe. Right now, my wife and I give above and beyond the tithe back to the local church. But we're not sitting here saying, well, I'm at the top of the ladder. Nowhere to go. No, we're asking the question, what's our next step? Because the nice thing about beyond the tithe is it goes all the way up for another 90%. (laughs) You know? If you're already giving 99%, I would say save that last percent for yourself. That's fair. For the rest of us, we can ask the question. And then we flip over to the backside of the card, which is on, up on the screens. And on October the 15th, I'm going to ask us to either come with this card or to fill it out at church. It's our intention card for the next two years. You're going to write down what I, we normally give in a year. And then what's our next step? What's our expanded annual generosity? What are we going to give above and beyond, and then put our two-year total commitment there so that we as a church leadership know how to walk our church forward with wisdom. And then you would put your name, not mine, yours, your name, your phone number, and your email address. If you don't know what you gave last year, that's fine. Email finance at newlifepetaluma.org, and we will get you that information. For the next month, I'm asking us to engage with God around this question about our generosity for the sake of his mission. Over the next handful of months, I'm going to lead us through what's it look like to really know our go, teaching us and training us about how to find our unique place of influence. We'll continue to talk about prayer and how to engage in prayer. This question, though, if we do two of the three, if we say, I'm going to pray and I'm going to serve, I'm not going to give, we won't be able to do what God wants us to do. So I'm asking us to engage in all three and to start here and to move from there. And as we do, I believe God's going to honor that. And I believe that on October the 15th, Commitment Sunday, it's going to be a real celebration. And I want you to be there with me because we're going to, we're going to gather those cards up. We're going to find out what God has moved in our community. And we're going to see what he might be able to do next. What are our next steps? Keep engaging with God. Keep engaging with God. Read week two of our daily engaged devotional. Those have been so, so good. You can get it on the app. More information for that. We're going to have on October 6th something called an Advanced Commitment Worship Gathering. I know, super streamlined title. I just don't want you to get thrown off. It is a worship experience, but one of the things we see in the Bible is that whenever God calls his people to move, leaders always go first. Leaders always give first. Leaders always say yes first. Leaders always serve first. And so I've called all of our leaders, ministry leaders, staff leaders, to this event to come and bring our commitments first so that we can say to the rest of the church, here's what we sense from God. Follow us as we follow Jesus in this. 
but I don't want to limit it to, to ministry leaders. If you're already sensing something from God and you want to come and be part of that worship gathering and make your commitments and be part of that exciting thing, I'd love to have you there. So go ahead and join us for that. That is October the 6th. It's sneaking up on us. God is, it's going to be at seven o'clock. I heard that. You whispered it, but I heard it. These 36-year-old ears are still pretty strong. The great thing about ears, you might not know this, is they are one of the few body parts that continually grows. So the older I get, the more I'll be able to hear everything you say. It's very exciting. I want to pray for us. Listen, church, I woke up this morning, and just a fleeting thought, because guess what? I am actually a human. You might not know that. I'm so clear and direct that you might think I'm an automaton. I'm not. I'm a human. I woke up this morning with a very human fear. What if no one comes back? Sweet Jesus, help. But you came back, which means that you want to engage. And I I want to take this journey with you. If you have questions after service, I'm going to sit right here. Come talk to me. I'd love to talk to you. On Monday and Wednesday of this week at 7 o'clock, I'm going to be right here. If you have questions, come with your life group. I love questions. Even questions that you accidentally veil as criticism. It shows me that you care enough to ask. And I love being part of a church that cares enough to ask. So come meet me on Monday or Wednesday. Let's talk together. I'd love to talk to you. Meet me down here after service. I'd love to talk with you. I'm actually going to mix it up. I mean, I'm going to go crazy right now. I'm going to mix it up. I'm going to move straight into giving you some thoughts and having our guest services team get ready to come and receive the offering. I'll pray then. I know it's crazy, but we're going to move forward. I'll tell you why after service is over, after it's over officially. Hey, next week, I'll tell you why. Next week is our baptism Sunday. Okay, let me try that again. Next week is our baptism Sunday. It's a big deal. This is where people go public with our faith and say, yes, yes, I'm following Jesus. I've died to my old life. I'm being raised to new life with God. If you want to get baptized or have questions about it, mark down baptism information. Please mark that down. I would love to know. If you're sensing a stirring, you want to come to our advanced commitment event on the bottom of your card, it says, I'd like to come to our advanced commitment worship gathering on October 6th. Mark that down. I'll connect with you with more time and information and that kind of stuff. Mark that down. I would love to celebrate with you that night. I want to create a space for you. Guest services team, I'm going to pray. We're going to pass. Get ready. Jesus, thank you for this community. Thank you for the conversations we get to have. Thank you for the risks that we are taking, even to dare to dream with you about what could be. Thank you, God, that we are a family and that as family, we walk through journeys together. Thank you, God, that you have allowed me to be part of this great community of faith. Thank you, Jesus, for the work you are doing and will continue to do. We love you, God. Amen. Amen. We hope you enjoyed this week's message. You can find more information about New Life, including contact information, at newlifepetaluma.org. Thanks for listening.